The following episode took place between May 2018 and May 2019. The cover of the journal reads, Dream Big in large type. It was found in Chris Botts' truck and written in the last months of his life. From an undated entry on page three. He writes, I have an amazing fiance who is sweet and tender and rough and stern. Kind of sounds like me, huh? If I sit and actually think about my life, I'm in awe at how lucky I am. Maybe I should do that more. I'm excited about where my art is going. Six pages later, he writes, it's been two months. Naturally, depression set in without me knowing it. I started taking my 5-HTP again, which has helped. I've also started microdosing with LSD. This has been interesting to say the least. Three pages later, this triangle has been getting the best of me in recent days. And honestly, my partnership may not recover from last Sunday. It's not important for it to anyway. I know I need to be careful because of my anxiety. I would like to burn no bridges, so I will proceed with caution here. And at all costs, I must keep my energy. I'm almost certain that she is a vampire or a succubus. Chapter 30, Sam Merez. Did he say anything about Sam Merez? Uh, his uncle? Yeah. Yeah, he did. We did talk about his uncle a little bit. What'd he say? Um... I'm on the phone with Chance and asking him about Sam Merez, the brother of Chris Merez, and the supposedly dead uncle of Chris Spots. Ever since Chris's mother, Jade, shared with me her suspicions about Sam Merez, I've been making calls to find out who Sam is and if he could have any connection to Adea's disappearance. And it turns out there's something that Chance didn't share with me when I first spoke with him. He said his uncle was a gangster dude. And he, I don't really know how much I want to say here, so I don't want to like, get anybody in trouble if they don't deserve it, but it was kind of his assumption that his uncle killed her and his dad buried her. He, he said he thought they kind of tagged him, I think. But Chris said, you know, he he said, um, my dad's a, he's big and he's strong and he's fucking stupid, but he's a pussy. He said, my dad ain't got the fucking balls to kill somebody. So if anybody did it, my uncle did it. My dad's just stupid enough to get rid of the body, and he's too stupid to do it right. Jade also mentioned, when I last called her, that Chris Spots had said something similar to her before he left Colorado on his final road trip with Chance. He mentioned that he thought Chris and Sam Merez knew where Adea was. So this raises the question of whether there was a third person involved, because Chris Spots made only one other call on that fateful night Adea was killed. And that was to a burner phone with a 424 Los Angeles area code. And just maybe, Chris's mother's suspicions are right, and this number does belong to Sam Merez. So I try it again. Message or no message? Hello? Yeah, hello? Shoot, I can't hear you, it's breaking. Hey. Are you a business? I'm the only one who would have this number. I guess I was calling about Chris Spots. Oh, okay. That's my nephew. And is this Sam? Yeah, this is, this is Sam. I was wondering if you had some time. I'm doing a podcast on um, Chris and everything that happened. And uh, and I know he talked to you a bunch. I wondered if you had time to talk about him. And Oh, that's all right. Uh, I mean, uh, he's my nephew. I hadn't seen him in three, four years. Something happened that that shouldn't ever happen. It doesn't fit him at all. He's not that person. He don't fight. He don't like arguing. He don't like nothing. I mean, you know, I wish he would still be here so I could talk to him and stuff like that. But 
there's nothing we can do about that now that it's gone. And I wish that same thing for the other family because uh, it was so sad, you know, it was just horrible. And when was the last time you actually did see him? The last time I did see him? Jesus. Physically, probably three, four, maybe four years ago. Kind of lost in touch, but we used to talk on the phone every so often. When was the last time you spoke to him? Uh, well, when this was all going down, I spoke to him during the time. But I mean, the one time I did, you know, when we did talk, I asked him because during that time I was kind of confused about everything, and he wasn't making any sense. And I was trying to figure out what he was doing. And I just asked him straight up, like, "Did you have anything to do with that young lady's uh, missing or anything?" And he's like. No, I promise you, I promise you, I have nothing to do with that. I said, okay, man, he ain't never lied to me. So far, nothing Sam has said is a lie or a contradiction, and he seems relatively open and upfront. We talk for a while longer, and I debate whether or not now is the best time to tell him what I know. What do you think happened? Well, I think they got in a lover's quarrel, and... They got in an argument, and uh, I guess she was kind of small, I would assume. I remember hearing uh, how small she was. I, I guess the cause of death was something to the head, correct? Right. Yeah, so maybe he hit her in the head, tried to block her, or, you know, I don't know. My wife was, like, close to him, and tried to put everything together and how it happened. That's one thing I could think of. They had to be something protecting himself, maybe, or protecting each other, or maybe they just went too violent, you know, stuff like that. Do you do, do, you do also stories about uh, other things, too, you know, uh, about police corruption and civil lawsuits and anything like that? I think any story that strikes me as compelling is worth telling. What, what are you thinking? I have a story of my own that happened in 2015 where I was assaulted, me and my wife, by the Los Angeles Police Department. He tells me more details about the case, then asks for my address. I could come down there if you'd want to send me an address or something, and I can meet you or talk to you about it and discuss whatever. Great. Then again, I'll, I can also share whatever I've kind of found so far about Chris and Adea, and then whatever you can remember from those kind of phone calls you had around that time would be super helpful. Yeah, definitely. I'll send you the information and that, everything else, and then we can discuss more of that and discuss more about Chris. Now that I know this number belongs to Sam Marez, I can prepare for my meeting with him. Then face to face, I can ask him specifically about his calls with Chris that night, as well as Chris's accusations. Everything comes in right now. Hey, Jaden. Hey, man. Uh, I just want to let you know that I just got off a 20-minute call with Sam Marez. What? How'd that happen? Well, Alex was over. I said, why don't we try that 424 number again? No way. Our mystery 424 number? Wow. And he just answered? Yeah, so I called. It rings like four times. We're sure it's going to voice fail. Then a voice picks up, and the voice sounds like Chris Morez. And I said, I was actually calling about Chris Potts. There's a long pause. And then he goes, that's my nephew. I mean, so we've tied him to minutes before that's the last call. I mean, how many times have we called that number? Amazing for trying one more time. I mean, <laughs> I'll never not try one more time. That's crazy. Hey, also, I wanted to tell you, I just got the autopsy from Nevada County for Adea. So I just sent it to you. So take a look. It's pretty extensive. It's about 30 pages. There's the the general autopsy report, there's the protocol and talks. Uh, anything significant on it that jumps out to you? Well, I mean, we finally at least have a picture on cause of death. You know, they're saying it's blunt force trauma to the head. Not a lot of detail in terms of like narrowing down a weapon or anything like that. Dealing with the decomp and stuff like that, we're not going to see that. There's also in the tox report, it's showing caffeine, Valium, and um, THC or marijuana. It looks like just normal dosage, certainly none of those listed as any like 
relevance to cause of death. And was she pregnant, like Angel said? No, no, it's negative on that. Is there anything else you can tell about what happened? or It's going to be hard to tell. I mean, one thing that's definitely stated that it was massive blunt force trauma. If you look at page uh, five, you're going to see that they indicated that death was within seconds. There appear to be maybe some slight defensive wounds, maybe from like an initial hit, but you know they are indicating blunt force trauma, death within seconds. And they're indicating skull was crushed. So obviously something that's heavy, you know. So they write that she was wearing a brown jacket, a red hoodie with a zipper in the front, a pair of blue pants and black knee-high boots. Was that the same stuff she wore when she left her apartment building with Chris? So I would say with some relative certainty, yes, the video was not great, but that's generally consistent with what she was wearing. I think I have one other question as I'm scanning through it. Okay, yeah, it says she was covered with a silver and brown plastic tarp, which was secured with a thin orange-colored rope. That just seems odd to me, as if she'd been transported in some way from somewhere else. Yeah, it's definitely odd. I mean, seeing that is, you know, my conjecture is just that it does indicate transport. Wrapping her in that prior to burial really wouldn't make a lot of sense. So I would definitely say that we need to think about transport and how any other evidence that we have that we can find that would kind of support that theory might bring on a little more relevance now. Through a tip that recently came in from someone close to the team that recovered Adea's body, I saw a photo I'd hoped never to see. And it's of Adea Shabani as she was found. I won't go into the details here, or my anger at someone who could do this to another human being. But I do want to share a few things that are significant to this investigation. A tarp has been placed over her head, and it extends down to her knees. It's secured tight to her by thin twine. Because part of her legs are exposed, it's clear that the body is not wrapped for concealment, but because it's easier to transport, and so it won't soil a vehicle. And the twine is baling twine, the kind used to secure bales of hay for horses. My source said it was their belief that the twine and the tarp came from Chris Morez's property. This Monday night on CBS, it's the return of the CBS original series All Rise, a legal drama where Judge Lola Carmichael, played by Simone Missick, is a dynamic and bold African-American judge fighting to change a flawed legal system. There are compelling cases told in unexpected ways, featuring beloved characters and plot twists. It's entertaining, heart-stopping, absurd, but ultimately hopeful. The All Rise season premiere, this Monday night, 9, 8 central on CBS. One of our longtime sponsors making this podcast possible is Sleep Number. I happen to be a customer of theirs and have one of their beds. And for those who know what I'm talking about or have been to a Sleep Number store or own one, my Sleep Number is 60, which is a slightly more firm mattress. My Sleep IQ is 80, which is pretty healthy sleep. I'm still working on it. And quality sleep is more important than ever as we head into winter. Not only is it a natural immunity booster, but it can also help with energy and recovery. With fall daylight savings time coming up, Take advantage of that extra hour of sleep. According to Sleep Number Research, Sleep IQ sleepers slept the longest. The night daylight savings time ends in the fall, which was 8 hours and 27 minutes, compared to the usual 7 hours and 45 minutes. It's a great time to adjust your bedtime routine and sleep schedule for better quality sleep. A few tips for adjusting to daylight savings time is go to bed 15 minutes earlier for a few days leading up to the time change. Try to get outside for morning or early afternoon light to reset your internal clock. Stick to a consistent sleep routine to sleep better and dim the lights and turn off screens an hour before bed to prepare for sleep. 
I actually take it a step further and use red lights to avoid blue light. You can look that up if you want more information on that. Discover the Sleep Number 360 Smart Bed for proven quality sleep. During the Veterans Day sale, save $1,000 on a special edition smart bed, which is now $1,799. That's $1,799. Plus, exclusive offers for military members. For a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com slash live LA. That's sleepnumber.com slash live LA. Chapter 31, Chris Merez. Should I try again one more time right now? Yeah, sure. Okay, cool. Here we go. Hey, Chris, it's Neil. Hopefully it's not too late. Uh, I'll be up for a bit. Talk soon. No, I No. Yeah. It was kind of late. It is, it is late, so maybe he'll call me tomorrow. But if he didn't want to, if he didn't want to talk to you, he wouldn't, he wouldn't call you back. That call didn't Oh, it's happen. him. It's, it's him. It's him. Never, it, uh, okay. Hello? Hello, Reese. I was outside. I saw that you called. So what's going on? Great, man. Yeah, no, I'm sorry to call so late. No, I saw your... I listened to your... Um, live and die out, die, die out or whatever those little... Whatever those... I don't even know what those were. I just listened to them. What are your thoughts so far? Yeah, yeah. I, I just saw them the other day. I just, just kind of... And that whole thing with Chance, I heard that one night never even met the kid, so I don't know what he was talking about. I've never seen him in my life. I only, you know, all I've ever heard was my son talk about it. I've never met the kid, so I don't know why he was saying all this shit, because, you know, I was kind of surprised. It's been hard to reach Chris Merez, and this may even be my last chance to speak with him. If he was involved with the day of disappearance, I know he's not going to just confess to me, but I can share the facts I know that make any lies or evasions that much more difficult. And one question I have is, who led the authorities to Adea's body? Especially since I saw the picture of Adea, because it didn't look like a boot was sticking up out of the ground. She looked pretty well concealed. So someone must have known where she was. And thanks to the tip from my new source, I've got a good idea who that someone is. I want to check a bunch of uh, things with you. The first one, and I hadn't known this when we spoke, is that that you led the police to Adea or told them where she was. Who, me? Yeah. No, I never told them any of it like that. I just told them what happened was is that my son came back. See, my son came back. I can't remember what day it was. Chris Merez is referring to the Thursday two weeks after Adea disappeared when Chris Spots, for some unknown reason, took a 17-hour drive from Colorado to his dad's house in Wheatland, stayed for less than two hours, and then left. He shows up at my house, my fan stays at the door, and goes, hey, your son's here. I'm like, what? He didn't call me, he told me nothing. I was like, this is kind of fucking weird. So I said, it's okay, so I go outside, and he goes, Dad, I don't want to talk to you, and I said, I'm sitting there talking. Um, and I said, what are you doing? So we had this car, what was going on? He goes, Dad, I have a gun, blah, blah, blah. And then he, so I said, what are you going to gun for? I said, you know what? I said, you know, if they catch you with a gun, you know, this is not good. And, and I said, son, I said, what's going on? So he, he basically opened up and he told me the situation, okay? Uh, he didn't go into detail. He just told me, hey, Dad, this is what's going on. And uh, he didn't tell me specifically where. There was three different spots that he told me. He basically told me, hey, this is where she's at. Why did he say three spots instead of, I put her here? Why did he say three spots? Well, this this is the deal. When he came to stay with me, you know, he goes, hey, Dad, there's these great places to go right And that's where he told me. We had Spencerville, we had Campfire West, we had Hidden Falls. And he said, you know, I knew those places. So that's when he told me that. So, but you know this area. And him and him go hiking up there. Yeah, they, they got, it's called Hidden Falls. It's a beautiful, it's, it's a beautiful place. That beep is concealing the identity of Chris's childhood friend, 
whose name we changed to Brian for purposes of anonymity. Roughly 10 years ago, Chris and Brian came to live briefly with Chris Morez when he was living in a neighboring town. And by the way, just in case you missed it in his wall of words, it was Chris Morez who tipped off police to where Adea was. That's kind of white. And he told me that because I knew the places. There's what? only three streets. Go ahead. What were the spots he said? What they are is they're creeks and there's bridges. There's three in that area. There's one, two, three. And that's pretty much what he told me. If you're going to go horseback riding or if you're going to go hiking or if you're going to go shoot, whatever, there's three. And that's basically all he said. And I said, okay, fine. So I didn't say anything. My thing is to see him. I was just sad because I could see the remorse he had. He was very, uh, I don't even know what to say. It was just sad, you know, to see him like that. I think he realized what he had done. When Chris said he had a lot of remorse about it, did he say, like, why he had done it or what happened? You know what? And I'm going to share this with you, but this is the honest God truth. He told me this when he when he came that Thursday when he told me that. He goes, Dad, you remind me of my mother, and I've always wanted to kill my mother. And straight into my eyes. Exactly. I'm telling you, that's word for word. And I just kind of blew it off, and I'm like, son, you go to the cop. But he, he did tell me that. So I'm telling you right now, he had a lot of hate for his mom. And what, for whatever reason, you know, today is a lot like his mother. She was a person that likes drama. She was drama. That's what her mom was. His mom was. I just want to point out how little empathy Chris Morez has for Adea, for the victim here. In fact, I don't recall him ever saying a positive word about her. I asked him about his call to Jade Spots on February 24th, when he was talking about Adea's disappearance before anyone knew she was gone. She had said that you would, the morning after Adea disappeared, you had called her and said, hey, some stuff happened like uh, the little girl, you know, don't worry about it. I'm going to take care of it. No, never. I never, never, never talked to her like that. The only time I talked to her is, and I don't know if she had told you, but I guess Chris went out there right before Christmas and he got in a huge fight with his mom and his stepmom and something out of character. Well, I like called her and I asked her, what's going on with Christopher? And then she told me what happened. And that was the only time I talked to her. So just to clarify, so you didn't call Jade that morning no, after they had disappeared? No, never. no, 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 no. The only person I talked that morning was Mary. Mary called me up because he came back to my house, picked up the shoes. And the only reason she called me up was because she tracked her credit card to that hotel. And that was the first time I ever talked to her. Keep in mind that Chris Spotts' mother, Jade, already sent me her phone bill to prove that she spoke with Chris Morez. And they did indeed talk for 11 minutes on the afternoon in question, Saturday, February 24th at 12.20 p.m. So what Chris Morez is telling me is clearly not true. There are a couple odd things I wanted to ask you about. And one was Daya was wrapped in a tarp and in twine that matched twine that was on your property. Maybe twine used to like tie the Sales of hay or something. Well, yeah, 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 and that's the thing. Cause I have, you know, horses. I buy and sell horses. You know, but but the fact is, they came through my whole house. I said, I, I don't know anything about anything. And you know, when I told them, you know, could have been. I said, I collect them. You know, because we I send them back and they reuse them or whatever. If you looked at it, it's like a thousand of them back there. I had no clue. But how you know? how do you've gotten the twine from your property that a day was wrapped in? Well, because he because he came over to my house. Chris Morez has just basically admitted that Chris Spots got the twine that Adea was wrapped in from his property. Now listen to the answer to this question. Was he was he ever out of your sight when he was out of your property that day? No, no. I, when he came in, and then when he got in an argument, he, he uh, took off. And, and then they came back that morning. And how so, long how long was he there for that? Part. How long was he there for that night? Oh, probably three or four hours. Yeah, probably about three or four hours until we got in the fight and he took off. And then he came back morning and he was only here that morning for maybe 10 minutes, not even 10 minutes. He just came down, she was giving me a hug and he was gone. If Chris was in your sight the whole time, how would he have gotten the twine from your property that a day was kind of tied up in in that tarp? Like when I told the detectives, 
I have no clue. You know, my thing is, you know, I have 18 acres out here, you know, and, you know, the weirdest thing was uh, they, they, they found a hole on my property and they had the detectives and, you know, looking at this hole, but it was a school that dug it up, but they thought, well, shit, and I'm thinking, oh my God, did my son do this? And, he, and it's right on the front of my property, so I'm thinking, no, this, there's no way, and I knew it wasn't, you know, but they had to do their job, and it was, you know, it was actually, you know, squirrel, they dig, you know, the hole. You may remember that when I first spoke with Chris Merez, he said that this hole was dug by dogs. Another time, he said it was a coyote. However, the same source who showed me the photo of Adea said that investigators believed someone had tried to dig a grave for Adea at Chris Merez's property, but they stopped when they hit rock and couldn't easily go any deeper. They said they had dug this hole. It was kind of a like a body size yeah, hole, yeah, but, then, but, then, was, but then it hit yeah, slight. Was, it hit rock. It, it, yeah, that was actually that was actually the hole that uh, that I was talking about. You know, and that's when the, the other detective was sending me because they had over there they were digging it up and taking pictures. And they came back, there was nothing there, of course. But I mean, I'm just thinking, holy shit, you know. They were fairly certain that it was like you know, a hole dug for a body because it was a big hole, and then it hit rock and it didn't yeah, go deep enough. It, it was tough. It was probably maybe two feet by one and a half feet, but it was a fresh hole. And I explained to them, I said, they got beginning of the year, we get them, you know, maybe two or three are digging the same hole, you know? So, uh, went in there and dug, there was nothing, of course, but I'm just saying, I'm just like, fuck, you know, I'm thinking, did my son do that? <laughs> was he trying, you know, it was, just, it was just crazy. The thing that I'm sort of trying to piece through is, she must have been there that night in the truck. Whether alive or dead, she must have been in his truck. You know, like like I told the you know the tech, I saw nothing. Um, all I saw him come in, left, come back that morning, got his shoes. That was it. I don't know what I would have done. I'd be honest, if I I would have been like, fuck, I don't know. Call my buddy the cop. I don't know. I'm glad I didn't, and I hate to say that, but I'm just glad because if I did, I don't know how I'd react. That's where like kind of I get stuck. Like it just doesn't make sense because there's. A, she 100% had to be there, you know, alive or dead. But B, is if you only stop for four minutes and eight minutes at a gas station, how do you have time to do something like that? And then when you get the twine and the tarp, like how do you get all that wrapped up and then hit the road and then go to that spot in the yeah, exactly, area? exactly. The only thing I can think of is when maybe he, he uh, you know, I don't know. We've talked about this before. Maybe when he got in an argument with me, that's when he took off because uh, his plan was usually to spend the weekend. Uh, we were going to go out the next day to dinner, and, uh, and you know, everything was planned, horseback riding, all that, so it was kind of weird. It was kind of weird for me, and I'm thinking, okay, and it was an argument, but, I, you know, it was something like, okay, son, but I didn't want to, um, you know, I'm like, okay, you're 33 years old, you know, I'm not going to tell you, beg you to stay, you know, if he, he got upset with me, and I was, when he did what he did, but I don't know, see, that's the thing, in the city, I never wanted the detail. But here's the thing that doesn't make sense. So let's just say that somehow he did this in the car. I don't, I don't know how, let's just say that happened in the car. Yeah. Um, but then how would he not have blood on him when he came in your house? Exactly. When he came in the house, I mean, he, you know, I, I hate to say this, I don't even know what he was wearing. Um, I don't, I think he was wearing sweats or shorts or something. You know, just some casual shit and he had his little bag and he brought it in and, and then uh, he put it right here and I said, go put it in the room, he put it in the room. One thing I've been waiting to ask is whether his fiancée, who he lives with, was home that night or if he had her leave. To me, that would suggest some sort of premeditation. No, no, she was not there. She was, she was over her mom's, thank God. The only reason was she was over her mom's was because she wanted me to spend time with Christopher because Christopher never told me he was bringing her dad. I thought he was coming by himself. He, he had a backpack and, and a bag, and he just came in my house. Because hold on, Dad, when we go out to the truck, <clears throat> get the other bag, he did come in. I had some wine, and I was drinking some wine, and we were talking, and there's no big, it was like nothing happened, nothing. I had no clue. He didn't say nothing to me until like 11.30 that night. I was like, holy shit. He just told me, he said they got in a fight and, and uh, got in an argument, and uh, she was hitting him, and he ended up choking her, killed her. That's what he said. 
you know, and in my head, I couldn't comprehend that. I was like, there's no fucking way, you know, there's no way he did this. You know, I'm thinking, there's no fucking way. What Chris Merez is apparently saying is that on February 23rd, when Chris Botts first came to visit him, his son confessed to murdering Adea. And Chris Merez thought he was joking. He told me later that night, yeah, he, about 11, 30, 12, he had told me that. And that's when we started getting an argument. And I was like, you're out of your mind. I can't believe you. And I'm like, ah, I didn't believe him, you know, at first. You know, like, no. And, I, and then he just said, yeah, I did. And I'm like, you're fucking not. You're just, what are you doing this? You're fucking lying. You're, there's no way in hell you would do this. And I said, it's the movie you're going to be playing. Because he had told me he was going to do a, a bad cop scene in it Netflix. So I'm thinking, oh, this is not real. This is not, you're full of shit. And, and he's like, no, oh, Dad. And then he threw that, oh, you weren't there for me when I was a kid. And I said, okay, son, I'm here for you. So what's going on? While Chris Merez is admitting to more than he has in the past, there's still clearly a lot that he's hiding. But whatever the case may be, one thing is now certain. That on February 23rd, the night Adeya Shabani went missing, he knew what happened. And if he thought it was a joke, then a few days later when the news broke that she was missing, he knew by then it was real. This whole time afterward, when he was pretending to be helpful with me, with Jaden, with the police, with Adeya's suffering family, he knew exactly what happened and where she was, and he said nothing. Not until his son was dead, and I'm guessing it was safe for him to come forward because there was no one around to contradict him. You know, I was just happy that they found her closure for his, her, the, the mom, you know, the family. You know, that was the most important thing. You know, um, and the thing is, sad part is my... My son, you know, for whatever reason, he did what he did, and, you know, and I, 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 and I strongly believe this. I mean, you know, I think he just felt so guilty that, that uh, you know, he felt that he taken his eyes, he, you know, he was telling James, uh, you know, a lawyer, I'm going to go out like a lawyer. No, I don't think, I think he went out because he felt like he was so guilty, you know, he was so, what he did, and it's just a sad, sad story. You know, I was wanting to grow up to have kids and, you know, try to be a grandpa, and uh, it'll never happen. Chapter 32 Chris Spots. When reporting, you have to knock on a lot of doors. But sometimes, you just happen to stumble across the right door. This particular one was in Yuba City, about 20 minutes from Wheatland. Led there by an anonymous tip from a listener of this podcast, Jaden and I knocked on the door. A bald, stocky man answered, and his first words were, I was wondering when you guys would come. I figured the LAPD or a detective would eventually be here. I've been saying since all this started, I can't believe nobody's come and talked to her. Yeah? I couldn't believe it. I've been saying I can't believe nobody's talked to her yet. Yep. Because I was waiting for her. He then called his fiancée and told her, there's a private investigator here to see you. Her response? Is it about Chris Merez? The man invited us in, and we sat on the couch as a fish tank bubbled in the background. After 10 minutes, his fiancée arrived, along with a daughter she had with Chris Merez. I still, I still talk to my sister-in-law every once in a while. Like, I'll have text messages and she'll talk about Chris and I can't believe, like, you know, like nothing happened to him. And, you know, I'm like, I know. I mean, he's gotten a way with so much stuff, it's not even funny. So one question as far as these go, is it okay to share these recordings with the LAPD? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. Um, and uh, yeah, and that, is it okay to use these on the, mm-hmm. okay, you're comfortable with that? Yeah. Okay, so I'm gonna make sure. The woman you hear speaking is Kim Merez. 
Chris Morez's ex-wife. She was with him for almost 25 years. Whatever you feel comfortable sharing, and mm-hmm. obviously we want to get. So you said he visited you? Oh, he does. He confides in me. He always confides in me. I mean, I don't know why, but he does, probably because we were together for so long, 20-something years. So, yeah, he always tells me things that I wish, you know, things I probably didn't want to know, but... Obviously, the, you know, we're interested in that. I mean, we're interested in what he talked about and whatever background you want to discuss. I mean, what happened? And we'll say Chris for Chris, Chris Perez. Yeah, Christopher. Christopher, yeah. Um, his daughter had a performance, and as we were leaving that night from the performance, he told, you know, go, go to the car, you know, your mom and I are going to talk. By he... She's referring to Chris Morez. And so then he was telling me about exactly what happened to her, that Christopher had planned to kill her. And I guess he was saying that it was Sam, which is um, Chris's brother, that he had died and that they were coming up here for the funeral. And I guess they were traveling up here to go to the funeral or whatever to stay with Chris. Chris said that, I guess, Christopher and his girlfriend would sometimes go and sit on the bed of the truck and look at the stars and stuff. So when they were driving up here, Chris goes, I don't know where it happened, but supposedly they were at the bed of the truck and looking at the stars, and he had pulled, I believe it was a shovel, and hit her in the back of the head. So that's what he told me. So it's, it's hard to, you know, that he has this information and then apparently talked to her family and knew where she was and didn't say anything. And that's just, it kills me. It's like, you have, a, you have a daughter, how could you do that? And I guess he couldn't because that was his son. So, I don't know. What did he say happened after that? First, he had a couple stories. I think the last story was Christopher came to the house, Chris's house, and they were talking. He said he was acting kind of weird, just like, just kind of odd, like he wasn't acting himself. He's like, what's wrong with you? And he's like, nothing. And then I guess at some point he told you, he goes, well, I killed her. And he's like, no, you didn't. You're, you're kidding around. He goes, no, I killed her. She's in the back of my truck. Christopher wanted Chris to help him bury her. And Chris told me, he's like, no way, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to get involved. And Christopher played that you were never in my life. You never did anything for me. Could at least do this for me since you've never been there for me. And apparently, Chris, in his own truck, had Christopher follow him to a place where she was buried. But he told me there was blood in the back of the truck. He told me that she was rolled up. I don't remember what he said, but she was rolled up in. But he said he saw Christopher take her out of the truck and roll her into the hole that he had dug. He saw that. I know he was the only one with Christopher there because his girlfriend had gone. His girlfriend wasn't there that night. Did he say that when you talk about going down to that location, did he talk about helping him to dig the hole? He said he didn't. He said, I never touched her. I never, never dug the hole. He goes, I didn't do any. I didn't participate at all. He goes, I didn't do any of that. Do you believe him? Oh, yeah. Right after Christopher killed himself, you know, yeah, Chris is crying to me, saying he's going to go to jail, he's going to go to prison, all this stuff, you know. But he never came clean with seeing Christopher bury her, all that. And I guess her brother um, had called Chris. I was, I guess it was her birthday, and if you, you know, and she was, he was like, bought her a birthday cake. We don't know where she's at. If you know anything, and that's what kills me. Is Chris is like, nope, I don't, and he knew. You know, how could you know where she was at and not say anything? I just don't get, I don't understand. 
I mean, to me, it's like, why would you like go in separate cars, you went in separate trucks, and Christopher followed you all the way to a place where you chose to bury her, and then you just stood there. Like, it's kind of hard for me to believe that he would have just not have done anything. I mean, as far as like him, like helping him commit the crime, I don't know, I don't, I mean, he's done, he's pretty crazy, but I don't know if I could see him doing it. I don't think I can. Why? He's just... I don't know. I just... I mean, he's done... He was really bad when he was on steroids. Really bad. I mean, he put a gun to my head, pulled the trigger, all kinds of stuff. I just don't know if I could see him. I don't know. Did he ever talk to you about um, motive? Like, Yeah. why? Yeah. He told me because... He had his fiance, and then he tried to break it off with his girlfriend, Christopher did, and um, she was just like not having it, and she told him, you know, I'm gonna ruin your career, I'm gonna ruin your life, and that's why you did it. And then Chris always told me that, she, um, Christopher always said that his girlfriend reminded him of his mom, and he couldn't stand his mom, which I doubt that. I remember, I mean, even the girls at work still, what, every once in a while, hey, what's going on with Chris? Have they arrested him yet? You know, that's why the girls that I work with, because yeah. everybody was shocked that nothing happened. He does get away with a lot. Did he say why he led the police to the day and why he gave that information? Yeah, because Christopher had already died. So I guess now it was like an okay time. Um, you mentioned one other thing, like, and I just want to go back there real quick. You said about being in the back of the truck looking at the stars. Was that a was that a Chris thing or a Christopher thing? Definitely not a Chris thing. I don't know if it's a Christopher thing, but okay. But yeah. when he talked about that, he said what that that was something that. Yeah, he said that's Christopher he used to do that once in a while. He said I don't. He's to this day still says I don't know where they stopped, like how close they were to Wheatland, or because I don't know where they went to, where they pulled in and stopped and to look at the stars, because I don't know. I'll just say this, what, what do we know about Sam? Anything you may know? I know that Christopher was talking to Sam after he murdered her. I know that, but he he's hush about it. And I think he talked to Sam like days before he killed himself. Did they talk regularly before that? I don't think all I mean, the time. From, I think everyone. From no, what we were no, saying, they it didn't. wasn't very often. No, you know. they didn't. I think it was like, yeah. kind of like what Chris did. You know, needed someone to talk to and spill his guts about things that he's done. Maybe I don't know. What's Chris Morris and Sam Morris's relationship? Those brothers. Are they brothers who trust each other, distrust each other? What's distrust. The of they yeah. don't talk to each other. They don't talk at all. Like Chris is kind of doesn't really talk a lot to his family. Like I talk to his nieces and you know, like I've talked to them, but he's kind of like, I think of all the lies and everything, I think there everybody's kind of like stays away now. So do they still have the cases that actually still open? No. They closed it? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. That's it. Yeah. I understand, I get why, I mean, I work local for the sheriff's department for a long time the goal was to close cases so <laughs> you know as fast yeah. as you can close them with a with a good closure that's what you do um you know it's doesn't give the family complete closure. exactly yeah exactly. and it's but it's a reality based on budgets and case loads and you know that's yeah. that's how it goes um but i don't uh, i don't think it's closed I mean, I, no, I don't think so. It's three days later, and I'm looking at a property receipt given to Mary by the police. 
It contains the items they took from Chris Botts' truck. It includes one baton, which was the metal baton that Chris Botts had bought for his role as a police officer in the web series The Shokes. It contains papers, which we believe to be the letter that Chris Botts was writing Mary. There's a hat, two pairs of boots, at least 100 rounds of live ammunition, a gun magazine, a key, and a receipt from Anawalt Lumber dated February 23rd, 2018. And the frustrating thing is after months of back and forth, my Anawalt Lumber contact never came through with a cash receipt. Fortunately, Jaden comes through and sends me there to pick it up. Yeah, man. Okay, so uh, I just went to Anawalt Lumber. I went to the back office. The guy handed me the receipt, and you're not going to believe this. Did you look at the actual items? Yeah, I looked at the SKU numbers, and I went and okay. picked up each one. I got them spread out right in front of me right now. Oh, you bought the items? I, I bought the items. Amazing, so, okay. So I'm looking at them right now. He gets a pair of suede gloves, a flashlight, okay. a big moisture-absorbing towel, and a shovel. Businesses have had to be flexible this year, from working remotely to pivoting their business models for long-term survival and growth. Restaurants are moving their dining outdoors and adding takeout and catering, and major retailers are now selling face masks. If you're in charge of hiring for your business, these pivots have made your job even more challenging, especially if you have to hire for brand new roles. Thankfully, there's one place that you can always count on to making hiring faster and easier. ZipRecruiter.com slash approach. When you post a job on ZipRecruiter, it gets sent out to over 100 top job boards with one click. Then, ZipRecruiter's powerful technology finds people with the right skills and experience for your job and actively invites them to apply. It's no wonder that 4 out of 5 employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. See for yourself. Right now, you can try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com approach. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash A-P-P-R-O-A-C-H approach. Let ZipRecruiter take hiring off your plate so you can focus on growing your business. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash approach. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Support for this podcast comes from AT&T. All right, so to stay connected, AT&T Business has the only wireless plan your teams need. With mobile hotspot data up to 100 gigabytes, they can easily use their phones to connect tablets and laptops to the internet from really virtually wherever work takes them, giving them the power to boost productivity even on the go. Upgrade to AT&T Business and get our best plan with nationwide 5G and 100 gigabytes in mobile hotspot data. Visit att.com slash business elite. Terms and conditions apply. Chapter 33, the final chapter, three persons of interest. That's scary. Hey, Alex, I'm taking you. We can sit in here. We have, we've got all this information. We've done all these interviews. It's been 14 months. And and uh, almost and really in this last like week, just a flood of information came in. I'm in Jaden's office, and we're preparing our final report for a day as mother Nora, as well as for Chris's fiance Mary and his mother Jade. It's the first time that we've sat together formally, and just attempted to put together all the information we've collected. Our investigation has led us to three persons of interest. Person of interest one, Sam Merez. When were the when were the calls to Sam? Ten twenty six, ten forty seven. At eleven, and then I think a text at eleven. Eleven twenty seven. They're all one minute calls. They easily could have just not connected. Hey, call me back ASAP. There are two pieces of information that led us to Sam Merez. The first is the phone calls that Chris Potts was desperately making to Sam's 424 number 
on the night of Adea's murder. Though I still have plans to meet with Sam in person, after getting to know him better, it felt like the time was now right to ask him about that night. Why do you think he was desperately trying to reach you that night because you're the only one he was calling? I wouldn't know. Like I said, I hadn't talked to him uh, only once before that, and that was in 2015 Sam goes on to tell me that it's unlikely that Chris Spots had his 424 number, so he probably got it from Chris Merez. And since Sam says he didn't answer any of the calls, his best guess is that Chris Spots was calling for advice, for help, or most likely for somewhere to stay in the area since he probably did have some sort of argument with his father that night. The second piece of information that led us to Sam Morez is Chris Spotts' claim that Sam and Chris Morez were co-conspirators in Adea's murder and burial. And aside from the fact that we now know Chris Spotts told a lot of lies, the other problem with his accusation is that Sam Morez doesn't trust his brother enough to get involved in something like this with him. I've never had a close relationship with my brother and talked to my brother much. Fortunately, my brother, uh, I don't even know of anybody in my family who speaks to my brother. My sister hasn't spoke to me. Uh, well, my uncle's aunts, I've had uncles along the way. I've spoken extensively with several people who know both Sam and Chris Merez, and they've confirmed what Sam is saying. So I feel confident in concluding that Chris Spotts' allegations about Sam were completely fabricated and an act of fear and desperation. Person of interest two, Chris Merez. The next thing is, he's keeping the fair secret from Mary, from his mom. I've talked to a few of his friends now, from most of his friends till, till the very end, except for one person he knows won't disapprove of what he's doing. That's uh, Merez? Right. This is Jade Spots discussing a conversation with one of the LAPD detectives investigating the case. She said, I cannot reveal to you my information, but she said, I know you think that Chris Merez was involved, but I can tell you we are 100% sure that he had no contact with Chris Merez. In fact, their contact over the last three years was very limited and next to none. But there's a problem with what the detective is telling Jade. I have Chris Spots' phone bill. And in November, he has four calls with his biological father. In December, there are three calls. But in the 19 days leading up to a day's murder in February, there are 41 calls between Chris Spots and Chris Merez. For a total of 251 minutes. And in the last three days before a day disappears, there are 14 calls back and forth between them. And this is where our suspicions about Chris Merez's involvement begin, especially since he later admitted to us that he knew about the murder and concealed it. So let's discuss his statements to his ex-wife, Kim. We don't know for a fact that what he told her is true. He's lied to us many times. But the lies have always been to protect himself. And his story to Kim lines up with the data we have, specifically the Google information and the Anawalt lumber receipt, data that neither Chris Merez nor Kim Merez have. So it feels safe to say that Chris Merez's confession is the minimum of his involvement in Adea's disappearance. Where the line of demarcation between what he did and what his son did can be drawn is something we'd still like to determine, as well as whether they planned this together. But one thing we do feel certain about is that Chris Merez led his son to the Spenceville Wildlife Area campground where Adea was buried. For one thing, Chris Merez told us that his son knew the Spenceville Wildlife Area because he'd gone hiking there with Brian. But here's what Brian had to say about that when I asked him afterward. And just to make sure, I had him look it up on Google Maps. We've disguised his voice here. Spenceville Wildlife Area. 
Yeah, no, man. Never, never once been hiking there, so. And you've never heard of a place called Hidden Falls or anything? Uh-uh. However, when I spoke with Chris Merez's fiance, she said that she and Chris Merez had gone horseback riding in that very spot several times. After our meeting with Kim, she called back with one other fact that she forgot to mention. He actually, Chris said that he had held the flashlight while he was there, while he buried her. Whether Chris Merez helped more than this, we may never know. But we do know that he was there that night assisting his son and giving his son money the next day for the ride home. California law defines accessory after the fact as harboring, concealing, or aiding a person whom you know has committed a felony in order to protect him or her from arrest, trial, conviction, and or sentencing. And that's probably why Chris Merez told Kim, as well as his fiance, that he was likely going to jail. So I remember Chris and I like sat down and he goes, I don't know what's gonna happen, but I just wanna let you know that if something happens, he goes, it won't, but cause the cops always kept giving him like 50-50, right? You never know. And uh, he just said, you know, whatever happens, you'll be taken care of. Person of interest three, Chris Spots. So what we want to say is we know they drove, drove up there. We know they stopped two places based on the accuracy of the timeline. We know they nothing happened to her prior to that. So when we went up there and I've looked at it again and thought about it, I mean, that road really is, it's a good spot. To what likelihood is it that it happened in that driveway versus when they're at Chris Merez's house for you? I don't know. I mean, 80-20 driveway. Because so far, Kim's information has either kind of been corroborated with something else or been corroborated with some kind of evidence. Like her stories just sort of fit into the narrative. The fact that there was both the blunt force trauma and lacerations just on a 30,000 foot view would say, well, that makes sense with a shovel because you're actually dealing with a blunt object and a sort of a bladed object. I show today his autopsy report to an independent forensic pathologist, Dr. Judy Melanick, who stated that nothing in it was inconsistent with Kim's story. So you've got at least eight different impacts to the head, possibly more, with crushing injury to the underlying bone. So that would be consistent with a heavy, hard implement like a shovel. Your thoughts on the drive back? Because I don't think we ever said it explicitly now that we know all this other information. I feel like he's definitely getting rid of discarding her stuff. I mean, the Google timeline tracks him to dumpsters and stuff in parking lots, right? I mean, so he's definitely getting rid of her stuff piece by piece. The only thing left is this last chase, the pursuit with the police, that I think we haven't discussed, that you got Chris Spots's autopsy report. I share that autopsy report with the forensic investigator. I have his notes. The report we commissioned from an independent forensic investigator stated, Mr. Spots discharged a single 9mm shot. This shot occurred prior to the three less lethal shots fired by CHP officers from outside the vehicle into the driver's door window. Assuming no other individual was in the vehicle cab at the time of the 9mm discharge, Mr. Spots did commit suicide using a 9mm pistol. I would so testify the aforementioned findings and opinions under penalty of perjury. My problem with his, like, activities after the fact has always been how did he think that it was a better idea to not cooperate with the police, get a lawyer, start staying in hotels. How did he think that was a better idea than just... If Chris Spots came home, went about his normal life, what would happen, given all the evidence we have? I think as long as, uh, as long as Chris... Merez kept his mouth shut, 
probably a bunch of nothing. He would have probably held that. He would have had to hold up under some scrutiny, but it would have been Chris Merez and it would have been if that body resurfaced. He could have come up with a way better plan. That was a really terrible plan. Epilogue. Based on a 14-month investigation, including extensive interviews with all the surviving individuals known to be involved in the case, it's our determination that Chris Botts planned and carried out the murder of Adea Shabani, with at the very least help after the fact from his father, Chris Merez. Jaden reaches out to Adea's mother, Nora, to share her findings and the new information about what happened to her daughter. And I share our conclusions with Mary, Jade Spots, and Jack Spots. So yesterday morning, before you told me any of this, before I knew any of this, I like was literally getting ready for church and this overwhelming like feeling and thought was just like came through across my head and heart. It was just like, it's time. It's time to let him go. It's time to let him be at peace. As for Nora, she's now looking into ways to keep a day's memory alive. I would like to do something now. I'm entertaining that idea. I think because she loved so much music, now the research shows that music can help a lot in children who are uh, cognitively affected by some kind of trauma. And now evidence is emerging that music can heal these children. I also speak with Chris Merez and share our theory of what happened with him. He doesn't deny it. In fact, he often appears to agree and say exactly. Yet still, he returns to the same stories he's told earlier, as if he hasn't heard what I've just said. Yeah, where would I go to drop off a package for Detective Bill Hayes? Okay, you have a contact number. Right now, I'm dropping off this episode and all the original source material for it, including the Google data and the Kim Merez interview at the LAPD. Hopefully, this is not the end. I'm next in line in my supplies running out. It's time to leave the clouds are hanging low. The truth begins to show. Just as this episode was coming out, Jaden called to say a potentially groundbreaking tip had just come in. One that he wants to investigate further before sharing even with me. If needed, we will continue this in a bonus episode. If you're listening to this and you're in a physically or emotionally abusive relationship, the National Domestic Violence Hotline can help victims and survivors of domestic violence. Call one 800 799 7233. Many of you have written us with questions about the case. We will answer those as well as share further information in a special bonus episode. If you have any other questions, theories, or tips about this case, please write us at livediela at tenderfoot.tv or call our voicemail line at 213-204-2073 or even email us a recording of your thoughts. Make sure to let us know if it's okay to use your voice on the podcast. Though you've heard my voice in all these episodes, producers Donald Albright and Alex Vespasted worked just as many hours over the last year on this and deserve special acknowledgement. To Live and Die in LA 
has been a production of Tenderfoot TV and myself in conjunction with Cadence 13. The executive producers of this podcast are myself, Donald Albright, and Payne Lindsay, along with producers Alex Vespasted and Mike Rue. The music and score is by Makeup and Vanity Set. The theme song, which you finally got to hear more of, is Love and War by Flurry. Our show art and design are by Trevor Eiler. The editing is by Alex Vespasted, with additional mixing by Resonate Recordings. Special thanks to Oren Siegel, Brian Fishback, Charlene Lee, Julian Chan, Ingrid De La O, Carla Velarde, Rich Berner, Kevin Richter, Chris Corcoran, Oren Rosenbaum at UTA, The Nord Group, Eric at Shangri-La, Concord Music, Cobalt Music, Beck Media and Marketing, Station 16, and the teams at Tenderfoot TV and Cadence 13. One final note. We're planning a live event in LA very soon. We've learned so much from Adea's case that we've been able to help another family. This family's son went missing late last year, and they haven't had the support they need, both from the authorities and from the media. Information about the date, time, and tickets, which will help support the family's GoFundMe, will be posted to my social media accounts, at Neil Strauss, as soon as possible. Thank you for listening, for commenting, for calling in tips, for making all this possible, and for remembering Adea as she was. And Adea, there are no words. You didn't deserve this, and no one does. We'll be making a significant donation to the Children's Music Fund in your name.